Paleo Runner Podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click Ratings and Reviews. You can also follow me on Facebook.com slash RunPaleo or on Twitter at RunPaleo. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about a product I've been using called 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates to use as a fuel source. Unlike sugar sports drinks, 3Fuel gets absorbed slowly into your bloodstream to give you sustained energy throughout your workout. If you'd like to give it a try, you can get 10% off by using the coupon code 3FOLSON. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. If you're listening through the podcast app on iPhone, click the link displayed on the app right now. My guest today is Brett Vinod. Brett runs the School Sucks Project YouTube channel and online community dedicated to redefining education. He pr- promotes home education, critical thinking, peaceful parenting, personal growth, and nonviolent communication strategies. Brett, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for being part of the show. Thanks so much for the invite, Aaron. It's great to be here. Yeah, so Brett, you know, I found your your School Sucks podcast when I, I'm always looking for new podcasts, and I was looking under the education section because I, I kind of like to do lifelong education. Yours was one of the top on there, and I thought, School Sucks, that sounds really interesting. It's under the education podcast. Got to listen to this. How did you come up with this idea of starting the School Sucks project and podcast? You know, I really wanted to uh, initially do it as a, a documentary film, and it was kind of a, a process of uh, experiencing some some rejection uh, peppered with suggestions that I found offensive, like, you know, you should really check out Michael Moore's work if you want to be a documentary filmmaker. Uh, that was a little frustrating. Uh, and eventually, you know, the ideas had just built up to such a point and all of this stuff that I had, you know, gathered from my own experience and my own research was starting to be combined with uh, the influences, people like Wes Bertrand of Complete Liberty Podcast and Stefan Molyneux of Free Domain Radio and Richard Grove uh, from Tragedy and Hope. Like I'm listening to all of their media and I'm saying, you know, I can do this. I used to be a teacher. I used to talk and I felt like I was entertaining uh, roomfuls of people. So uh, in 2009, uh, the podcast became a nice uh, therapeutic exercise for, you know, externalizing some of this stuff that uh, had been so, um, uh, you know, uh, my head, I should say, my head had been swimming in this stuff. I don't want to say the stuff was swimming in my head because I was really just, uh, you know, consumed by these thoughts and, and all of these ideas politically, educationally, philosophically that I wanted to express. So the podcast became a, a great outlet for that. Okay. So one of the main themes of your podcast is indoctrination, regurgitation, graduation. What, is that, what does that mean to you? Well, the most important thing that uh, I try to illustrate on the show is that, uh, you know, if I, could, if I could distill it to one idea, it's that schooling is not education. And people are actually being put in a worse position than really never learning anything by being given this illusion of knowledge, this counterfeit knowledge that school provides, which doesn't teach people how to think. Uh, it gives them a completely false uh, or, or, you know, exaggerated, minimized, um, depending on what we're talking about, view of their history. So they lack uh, the context in which uh, to understand, um, you know, current events, things that are happening in the world now. 
there is, I think, a deep philosophic corruption uh, that people believe in this idea of self-sacrifice and that it's it's noble to sacrifice yourself, that the collective is more important than the individual. And uh, th- these are all ideas that I think are inculcated in school. That's, that's the indoctrination part. Uh, the regurgitation part is that this is a, um, you know, a terrible routine that people are put through for 15,000 hours of their life. It's very unnatural, you know, and it only gets worse when people take that natural act or that natural action, rather, of rebelling against this system. And then they're labeled as defective because they they can't do the regurgitation and the routines of test taking or following directions or sitting still. And, um, you know, it, it ends in graduation. So the math formula that we present on our website is that indoctrination, all the things that are taught in school, plus regurgitation, all of the, you know, the, which is basically just a synopsis of the routines, the mundane, uh, repetitive routines of school, plus graduation, the reason why everyone is there and the day everyone's looking forward to, that does not equal education. And education is a lifelong uh, self-directed process, and it requires intrinsic motivation, and it requires self-knowledge. And those are works in progress. You know, all those things, self-knowledge, personal integrity, self-mastery. I mean, that's that's not something that you finish with after, um, you know, 12 years plus four years of institutionalized education. So I what, what I want people to walk away uh, from even just a, you know, small uh sample of the show with is that, um, you know, you were not educated, you were schooled and education is up to you. And it's something you need to commit to for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that distinction that you give between uh, you, I think you might have mentioned in one of your co- podcasts, schooling versus education, you go to school to get schooled where you learn obedience, conformity, and, um, you know, how to do what your teachers want you to, to write on the test. And education is something totally different. I know when I'm interested in a topic, I go go and look up books um, on the topic. I I research websites. But school is something totally different, it seems like. And uh, just sitting in a classroom, sitting on your hands, listening to a teacher talk for an hour doesn't seem like the best way to educate. How did we ever get to that point, this very unnatural way of learning, where you you sit in front of a teacher with 30 kids in a class and somehow that's regarded as the best way to learn? Well, our our system is based on the the Prussian model of education that began, I mean, you could really, you could trace its origin as far as this way of treating young people back further than Central Europe at the beginning of the 1800s. But the system after which America is, is modeled uh, really came to the United States in, in around 1850. It was delivered here by the man who's called the father of education, Horace Mann. And he, at, at around that time, had been making trips to Central Europe to the Kingdom of Prussia, uh, where they had, um, you know, a very militaristic uh, culture and a lot of uh, imperial ambitions, even though they were a relatively small, almost entirely landlocked kingdom. They were getting their butts kicked around Europe by Napoleon um, earlier on. And after they realized that their military forces didn't have the obedience and regimentation, the the rulers and intellectuals in, in the, the Prussian society uh, developed the idea of compulsory schooling to take the uh, the Volks, the, the people, the ordinary people, and put them through this course of conditioning. And it was, uh, I would say, six to eight years. And these uh, ideas of obedience, conformity, and, and really not thinking for yourself, what I often refer to on the show as intellectual ap- apathy, these things were built in to, uh, you know, the lower classes in the Prussian society. So they would be good, eventually, industrial workers. And um, first and foremost, I think as far as their concerns, um, 
good soldiers, people who wouldn't run away from gunfire because they understood this corrupt philosophy of German idealism and that they were uh, noble for being willing to sacrifice themselves to the greater collective, which basically just meant the whims and wishes of the ruling class. That's all it ever means, right? And we're given this this kind of national identity uh, or, or patriotism, nationalism, the greater good. Uh, you know, all, all of that is just the wishes of the ruling class. And, and we see how dramatically it can transform based on the, the needs of the ruling class in just a period of a couple decades. Mm. So, uh, you know, that, that was the Prussian system and it was brought here and once it was sort of uh, installed in the state of Massachusetts uh, other states and other educationists started to recognize the benefits uh, or the potential benefits that a system like that could provide uh, as it grew through the rest of the 1800s it, it certainly expanded around the country states started to pass compulsory school laws in other words kids had to go to these schools um, at the beginning of the 1900s, or in the early 1900s, John Dewey, who's another great education reformer, who you'll learn about in any, you know, intro to education, intro to education class in, in graduate school. Uh, recognized that there were some problems with the system that, you know, maybe it was uh, overly regimented in some ways. But he had, you know, he had designs for society, too, just like Horace Mann had had designs for society, just like, you know, the Prussian rulers had designs for their society. And they saw schooling as a tool to bring those designs to fruition. So um, at, at throughout the 20th century, all these different interest groups tried to grab control of the compulsory schooling system because you have a captive audience that isn't going to fight back and uh, use that system to push their agenda. So I think once people realized what potential the system had for indoctrination, uh, there was there was no way to stop its uh, power and expansion. Mm. So now, Brett, are you specifically talking about the public schools? Are you talking about private schools? Is it all in the mix? And, and I'm imagining that some people listening are thinking, okay, what do you know, Brett? Have you ever taught before? Do you have kids? And um, what, what do you propose as a better solution? Well, I mean, first of all, I've definitely dealt with that question before. If I had never taught a day in my life, if I had never worked one moment as a tutor in and around these schools, and I mean, you know, going into public schools, having meetings in public schools, I attended public school for 12 years, and I believe that's really the only qualification that I would need to, to, to basically, um, you know, present whatever I want about the school experience. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And also, we live in a time where, I mean, people are still stuck in this this world of like the 1970s and 80s where you like, if you're not an insider, you can't know things. You know, I can I can be more knowledgeable about the ins and outs of, of government school than somebody who's been an administrator for 25 years, if I wish to, if I wish to pursue that course uh, of learning for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the, the it, we live in a time where it, it takes more work to be ig ignorant, I think, you know, people have to continuously retreat to these, you know, safe media uh, sources that feed them the information they want to hear, like Fox News or MSNBC. Um, you know, the age of information is, is great for that. But um, and, and I would say that my my access to information really helped me learn a lot as I started to have a lot of questions about what I was doing. Um, I was a lead teacher in a private school from 2002 to 2004. I went on from 2004 to 2006 to be a history teacher in another private school. Uh, from 2006 to 2000, the end of 2008, I worked for a very competitive tutoring company in a, in a number of very competitive school districts in the greater Boston area. 
And uh, in 2009, uh, with the help of a, a King's College professor, we started our own SAT uh, tutoring business in New Hampshire, uh, which allowed me to basically uh, do a very thorough evaluation of skills that were not being delivered in the school and try to add value to an SAT course by building um, some uh, you know, pedagogy into the class where these things could be covered. So, I mean, I've had, you know, as there's certainly people with more experience in government schools, but I've been around it long enough. I've been looking into it long enough and, and I've taught. And you know, a lot of this stuff is intuitive. I, like, how should we treat people? How do the schools treat people? Are those two answers consistent? Not at all. So, uh, but I do. I would say at this point, I've got uh, 12, 13 years of experience under my belt. I started my uh, my first job working with young people at the very end of 1999 when I was a senior in college. Okay. So what kind of solutions are you proposing to um, either reform the system or are you just asking uh, parents to step out of the system? And what kind of uh, solutions are there? Should everyone just be homeschooled or what do you, what do you think is best? Well, I really, you, you know, I, 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 I don't, I, I'm, I hesitate using this phrase, but it's kind of like an every man for himself solution. And when you start talking about school reform, uh, that is a horrible, frustrating dead end. The schools can't be reformed. The schools do exactly what they're supposed to do. They uh, provide babysitting for parents so both parents can work. Uh, they provide, you know, indoctrination. They provide jobs for very powerful unions. So there's a lot of people who are in that line of beneficiaries uh, for for government school and people who think that the system can be reformed uh, in in light of the needs of the children. I, I just think that that's. I understand like people would think that education is supposed to do a good thing, but it doesn't. And it, it's 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 babysitting and indoctrination and it's a jobs project for in many cases some pretty mediocre people and it doesn't mean there aren't great people working in the schools but you know uh, the point is that no, none of the people who are the power brokers in that situation are looking for for change. The system is working perfectly for them. Uh, people are certainly in situations where they cannot escape the uh, government school system. So there are you know harsh economic realities. I have brothers; they both have kids. Uh, my youngest brother has two kids in the government schools, uh, in, in spite of the fact of what I do and what I try to share with them, because there's no other options for him that he knows of right now that he that are feasible for him right now. So so one of the things that's really important is the recognition that you're not being a bad parent and you're not um, you know a prisoner if you're a kid. Those things are are mindsets that you can overcome with the right tools. So what we try to build into School Sucks podcast is ways that you can get more personal freedom, more intellectual freedom, tools of intellectual self-defense. We talk about the trivium, we talk about nonviolent communication, we've done a series on logic. Uh, I'm just finishing up a series on, uh, you know, present moment awareness and, and productivity, the skills that are necessary to be successful in the world. And, um, I, you know, I want to offer solutions. I, I felt like we did too much complaining about the problems with the schools and, and our larger, uh, you know, political condition in the first 100 episodes of the show. So now, you know, I, I want to turn the focus of the show to solutions. We did a series on, on doublespeak, like recognizing when, uh, you know, people in the, in the media or in politics are trying to pull one over on you. Um, that was uh, 130 episodes ago. 
And uh, along the way, I've also done some episodes that I've just called keys, like keys to better understanding, keys to, uh, you know, educational alternatives. I've interviewed people who have been homeschooled, uh, students who left school to homeschool themselves. Uh, I've, I've worked with a woman named Kate Baker, who's tried to create all kinds of opportunities for educational freedom in, in New Hampshire. So what I what I want to do is cover all the bases from every everything from homeschooling, talking to people like Laurette Lynn and Dana Martin, uh, to school survival, uh, you know, talking to students who were still trying to work their way through and out of high school, and um, you know, anything else that people can suggest that I see value as a potential solution or a potential way of dealing with the problem of being stuck there, I'll entertain it and and devote some time to it if I can. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the great things. About- about living in the age that we do now is you've got great tools for self-education. I mean, things like this podcast and all the other podcasts out there, you, you can go and you can become almost almost an expert or you can at least listen to es- experts on almost any topic. You've got these things called massive online open coursewares where you can be taught by some of the best professors in the in the world and um, it seems to me that school or perhaps at least high school is probably eventually going to become irrelevant when you've got so much other competition in the online world what do you think about that uh, as far as competition in in the online world as far as you know you have so much uh, learning opportunities online mm-hmm. it's, it almost seems worthless to to spend your time in school or a complete waste of time almost it's it seems like a huge opportunity cost I would I would say the same thing about college you know I mean mm-hmm. college isn't college isn't even just treading water right when, when you're treading water when you should be swimming forward college is sinking if you don't have a very very clear reason for going there. Very clear expectation of what you're going to get. And you understand the market uh, you want to enter, you know, when you leave college. So, uh, yeah, I mean, my story was I was a freshman in college in 1995. I majored in communications because that was the industry in which I wanted to work. The entire um, industry was revolutionized by the digital age while I was learning about how they did things in the 70s. Nobody told the people at the college. I graduated in 2000 with a useless degree. Today, a lot of these industries are changing faster than ever, you know, and and people need to understand, I mean, you know, everything is up to the individual. So if people think they'd benefit from college, if they think that that would provide them, uh, you know, a new kind of structure or independence or, or the, the specifics of a, a career, a vocation that they want to learn, then go. Uh, but don't think that, you know, it's a... Uh, we went to college in 1995 with the expectation that we were leaving there with winning lottery tickets that we could go cash in called college diplomas. You know, all you're leaving there with is a lottery ticket. You know, there's a big difference between a lottery ticket and a winning lottery ticket. And, you know, a college degree now is a lottery ticket, especially considering, you know, some of the economic realities and how competitive, um, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of people um, are are bringing master's degrees or higher degrees uh, or specialized certificates into, um, you know, this, this competitive job market. So just thinking that a four-year degree for $120,000 to $150,000 is, is some kind of ticket to a livelihood, um, that, that's something that I wanted to clear up uh, as explicitly and as frequently as I can on the show. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this issue of occupational licensure? You know, so many jobs nowadays require some sort of licensure from the state. Do you think that that could be a huge reason why college is so important? 
Um, well, yeah, I think there are realities that if you want to be a psychologist or if you, you know, you want to be, uh, an engineer, you are going to have to jump through whatever, you know, obstacle course the state sets up. And, um, you know, that, that provides kind of a tether where people just can't, you know, take, uh, they, they can't, they don't have the freedom of mobility anymore. So, um, you know, unions benefit for that, that, you know, that count on a certain number of members in a certain area. You can't, it's, it's, it's a problem process to get up and go get certified or licensed to do something somewhere else, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, in education, licensure has the uh, the benefit of discouraging people who later in life, you know, they retire, maybe they're just, you know, phenomenally successful and they retire when they're 45 and they say, well, you know, I've, I've taught, I, I've massed, I've been a huge success in the business world. I can go teach intro to business at the high school level. Well, they're there unless they want to go through all of that bureaucracy. They're basically blocked from doing so to protect the jobs of mediocre people, uninspiring people, people who've never worked a day in the real world uh, from from having, uh, you know, first choice at those jobs. So I, I, I do think that the the expansion of the state as far as control over the market is leading to the the expansion of the state in the realm of higher education as well, because people are, you know, now the cry is that everybody needs to go to college. Everybody needs needs to have a college degree so they can be competitive in this obstacle course that we've created called the job market, you know, with all of these licenses and other hoops that people have to jump through. Oh, but college is so expensive because we've been sending this market signal to colleges since the 1970s that the money is easy. It's coming from U.S. taxpayers. Nobody's asking questions to drive up your tuition, hire new vice presidents. It's exactly the same phenomenon that we've seen in healthcare. Mm -hmm. So, and it's not, I said this yesterday in another interview, it's not like the colleges are an innocent victim in all this. Like oh my goodness, we just have to respond to the market signals. They're bureaucracies too, you know. They're 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 people who are kind of outside of the real world and driven further outside of re, uh, of the real world of economic realities by the fact that they're so heavily subsidized by the government. So when government subsidies begin, you can basically guarantee that progress is going to stop and costs are going to skyrocket. And and that's the exact same thing that we've seen in healthcare. We've seen it in higher education. So so again, yeah, yeah unless I'm really missing something, and I'm open. Open-minded, I would sit down with Paul Krugman, and he could explain all this to me if he wanted to. <laughs> but uh, you know, I really see the government as such a destructive force, not only in in education, um, uh, but also in in people's um, job prospects. So. Uh, that would be my short to medium length answer <laughs> yeah. on that one. So, you know, a lot of what you're saying has sort of a libertarian flavor to it. And, you know, that I, I lean that way as well. But, you know, I'm sure not everyone who listens to the show has those feelings. Do you have to be a, a libertarian to embrace this sort of home education or self-education way of looking at things? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think so. And uh, I, I think that, well, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, <sighs> I mean, do you have, do you have any uh, people who are maybe leftward leaning that that still do this type of education? I mean, it seems like it could go across the, the spectrum, but I'm I was just curious. Uh, you know, I I think that we could have a lot of allies with people who are on the left, but really understand how to um, you know treat children in a loving and respectful way. Now, I think there's a lot of that on the left. In fact, I've talked to people in the past, and I didn't realize like how left wing they were, like how they were able to compartmentalize 
radicalize some of their knowledge and beliefs. Um, you know, so I, I mean, there, there's, there's, um, I forget this show, but this woman was, you know, she was talking about what she did with her kids, and I was really inspired. Uh, it was like a homeschooling podcast, and then one day she starts talking about how great Obama is, and I'm like, well, that's weird, you know, because I, I think that you know, thinking somebody like Obama is great is uh, responding to all of the destructive lessons of school. People who seek power over you, who want to, and I'm not, I'm not saying that at his core Obama is a bad guy, but I'm saying he's caught, he's, he certainly made himself available to be a puppet for some bad people and some bad agendas. And, and when, when people are so, um, I'm not saying Obama is a bad guy, but he's caught up in certainly a lot of bad stuff, and I think he's serving uh, a pretty nefarious agenda. And for somebody to say, well, you know, here's a complete stranger that clearly demonstrates every day that he wants power over me, that he likes power over me. It doesn't matter if it's Obama, Bush, Clinton, whoever. Um, that's kind of like missing some important, uh, important lessons in, you know, independence and uh, self-sufficiency and, and logic. Um, it, most of the things that these people say, it's, it's very, very transparent. So I don't understand. I, 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 I do have some difficulty understanding how people could be so politically authoritarian and so libertarian in their parenting mm -hmm. and their educational philosophy. I guess it's possible with compartmentalization. You know, I guess anything is possible. But I think that really respect. I mean, what what is libertarianism? It's non-aggression. It's it's respect for individuality and and property rights and and self ownership and you know recognizing children as people who certainly need guidance and supervision but ultimately self owners um, you know once they reach a, a certain maturity schools not providing any of that the state's not providing any of that so um, I, I think that people regardless of what they've compartmentalized politically are in many ways libertarian or we could just say liber liberty oriented since libertarian is kind of a bastardized term um, in, in in that respect and I think as far as moving the society in in a a more a freer direction that's what's most important how we treat and how we educate um, young people yeah you know Brett I'd like to I know we've been talking a lot about education here maybe this will tie in a little bit but uh, I wanted to turn our attention to something we were talking about before we started recording and and you mentioned that you actually do the paleo diet as well and when you first started talking you said you know kids aren't really meant to sit in school and just learn in a static way and part of the paleo diet is looking towards our evolutionary roots and seeing the way humans humans were made up and then and then um, trying to solve our diet issues from there. Well, if you look at a human being, it, it probably wasn't meant to sit in a classroom all day. Is is there any have you noticed any connection between your diet as you've gone towards a paleo diet and your learning abilities and and how you learn? Do you tell, tell me a little bit about your le learning process and if diet's connected to that at all? Well, I don't know if it's exactly uh, a paleo. It, it might not um, you know fall under paleo, but I, I've found there to be a lot of benefits of doing this bulletproof coffee every morning. And, and kind of getting away from, um, you know, caffeine all day, um, drinking, you know, diet soda. That's been one of the, the, the best things, uh, minimizing my intake of, you know, I was like such a Diet Coke addict for so long. And, you know, I was getting headaches. And I'm like, where, where are these headaches coming from? And, you know, I would stop. I would start drinking uh, more water. Uh, I, I really tried to be more conscious of the unnatural things that I was putting in my body. And that was the appeal of paleo originally. 
originally is like, here's resistance to stuff that's unnatural. And that's exactly what my uh, attitude is with education. Kids are not defective because they resist a system. They resist unnatural inputs. You know, that's mm -hmm. healthy to do. That's a good thing to do. So, okay, what other areas of life can this spread into? One of them was health. I had some very good influences uh, in, in this area before uh, we started uh, the discussion. I was telling you about uh, Healthy Mind Fit Body podcast where they were very, you know, paleo, low carb oriented. A lot of the, the, the paleo exercise stuff, not, not just diet as far as changing the ways we think about exercise and, you know, not being these hamsters on the wheels of treadmills, uh, uh, thinking that that's something that's good for our body to spend, uh, you know, five hours a week doing that. And uh, I, um, I really, I really got into it for its its simplicity. You know, like I was, um, I was into um, weightlifting for a long time, and I was reading like Muscle and Fitness uh, magazine, and they're talking about like, well, you know, there's slow carbs and there's fast carbs, and here's when you need slow carbs, and here's when you need fast carbs, and you want to have 200 grams of protein a day if you weigh 180 pounds, like I do. And I'm like, how am I going to get? Oh, I'm not a, a Rockefeller. How am I going to get 200 grams of protein a day? You know. Uh -huh. Unless I wanted to eat uh, six cans of tuna, which I don't. So when I saw the simplicity of paleo, that it's, it's you know, don't worry so much about calories. Fat is okay. Stay away from, stay away from gluten. Stay away from things that are unnatural. I simplified my diet. You know, was, and, and I, I travel a lot, so it's not always the easiest thing to stick to. But I've got a list of about 12 things that I'm willing to put in my body. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you what they are. Uh, steak, bacon, eggs, um, kale, sweet potatoes, blueberries, uh, the things that make up a salad, I would add to that. So like, you know, uh, other bitter greens, cucumbers. Um, the Kerrygold butter I love. Uh, I'll I'll eat poultry. I'll eat fish if if it's available. And I feel like there's a couple of delicious things that I'm forgetting. I eat a lot of almonds, almond butter, um, seeds. Uh, so so and and that's easy. When you have a, li a grocery list with 12 things on it, maybe once in a while I need some oil. Uh, I've I've had really good experience with the MCT oil. I find that to be very energizing. Um, so uh, I I find that the simplicity of this and isn't that isn't that something that what's natural is simpler than, uh, you know, all of this other stuff that I've been trying before. And it's certainly a lot simpler than trying to read the ingredients on the back of food that you can buy in the middle aisles of the grocery store. That's yeah. not only not simple, it's scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, Brett, you know, I'm sure people, uh, I, I definitely like what you're saying. How about people who are out there listening or who will be listening to this? How do they get started with this self-education, home education? Maybe they're looking to start doing more of this kind of stuff with, with their kids. Where do they get started? Do you have any books you'd recommend? Your website? How, how do they go about it? Sure. My website is schoolsocksproject.com and I mean we've we've done over 250 shows and I and I do recommend that even though the audio quality wasn't great back in 2009 that for the full experience people should start from the beginning but you know I also recommend um, and there's a variety of ways to consume this information. The Trivium uh, the the grammar, logic, and rhetoric, classical process of learning. You know, the grammar, which is really about identification and defining things. The logic, which is really about you know how do these things work together, or how do these things contradict each other, trying to remove contradictions. And the rhetoric, the 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 presentation, not only the um, making the grammar and the logic permanent for the learner, but also being able to communicate this stuff effectively to other people. So the Trivium method has been a, a, a very helpful way to look at what self-education should be. 
Uh, I, I, uh, there's a site called triviumeducation.com that Jan Irvin of Gnostic Media uh, created, and he, he runs that site. Uh, Gino Denning, uh, O-D-E-N-I-N-G, is a great resource for the, the trivium as well. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I, th- I, think it's, I think it really starts with an attitude and a choice to, to want to be uh, a self-directed learner. Because, I mean, there's no there's not I wouldn't try to put anything into a funnel and say, you know, you have to these are the things that you have to do. Uh, uh, Decide that you're going to do it and, um, you know, go out there and start to experience things. Decide what's important to you. Decide where that uh, intrinsic motivation is and to what it's directed. And, um, you know, you're on your way. These are the unschooling for kids is basically how adults learn. We find things that we're interested in and then we pursue a greater knowledge of that thing. That's all I want for young people who are trapped in these schools filling out worksheets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if a parent has questions about like, well, gosh, how would I do this totally foreign thing of unschooling or autodidacticism or self-directed education? Well, uh, you know, adult parent, just think about how you learn. And that's the freedom that you want to create for your children. They they can learn that way. So so their um, experience, their learning experience can ride on that momentum of enthusiasm and curiosity that they already have because it's natural. We're born with it. You know, mm-hmm. kids are, are, you know, scientists and detectives naturally. So let them be that. And right. and it's 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 what so many of us have worked so hard to reclaim in adulthood. I'm interested in something. I'm going to find the time, plan the time, do the research, learn more about it and and eventually uh, enjoy the satisfaction of mastery or near mastery of this pursuit. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what we want for kids. Yeah, I think that's some great advice. And um, <clears throat> Brett, I really appreciate you being part of this show. I, I'm looking forward to keeping up with your podcast. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day. Thank you so much, Aaron. I'm glad we finally connected. And uh, if you ever want me back in the future or if there's any questions I can answer from uh, listeners, please let me know. You've been listening to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast. For more information, go to paleorunner.org. Thanks for listening.